0: Warren Hamby is a minister and author who wrote a book some years ago entitled The Eight Keys to Happiness, and in the first chapter of the book he says this, in many ways we are victims of a happiness-oriented culture. Happiness is the supreme value, the highest ideal, and the final measurement of life in our generation. It is too often the standard by which we judge everything, marriage, vocation, human relations, And even religion are all too frequently made servants to the ideal of instant happiness. You may be wondering what his eight keys are, which I'm not actually going to preach on those eight keys this morning, but I very well could, because interestingly, Hamby says the eight keys to happiness are the eight beatitudes of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, He translates the Greek word that is translated in most standard English translations, blessed, as happy. So in other words, it would read, happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Happy are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. And happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I personally think that the translation of the Greek word "they're happy, is somewhat limited. Uh, I think it includes happiness, but I think it is much more than that. But Hamby's point is well taken. And certainly we live in a culture today that spurns those kinds of values and virtues, thinking that other things in life are really going to make us happy. It's not surprisingly then the devil wants us to believe that true happiness can be found apart from those kinds of virtues and from spiritual blessedness. You remember in the very beginning when we started this series that we talked about how the devil tempted Eve with the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. In other words, he appealed to Eve's desire to be happy. Eating the forbidden fruit would make her happy and satisfied and fulfilled. But the devil lied, and he's been lying to humankind ever since. So this morning, we want to continue a series that I began about a month ago entitled, Lies the Devil Tells Us. And this morning, we want to talk about lies the devil tells us about happiness. We're sure glad you're here today. We have a number of guests with us. We welcome you into our assembly and we hope that you'll come back on other occasions. If you have opportunity, if you're visiting from the community, then if you're looking for a church home, we'd sure love to talk to you about that and welcome you into our family. We hope that you will come back and visit us at other opportunities. If you have your sermon notes, I hope you'll follow along and write down some of the thoughts that we're going to talk about today. Because we're certainly talking about something that is practical and pertinent, one that we're faced with every day as we are challenged to be happy. You see, the devil says to us, God's main goal is for you to be happy in this life. Now, the devil says that, but nowhere in the Bible does that say. But you know, I've heard people say, I believe God wants me to be happy. Have you ever heard that? I, I, I've heard that numerous, numerous times. And ironically, I've heard people say that when they are engaged in something that is unscriptural or sometimes even immoral. And they say, well, I know God wants me to be happy. Or I just feel like, and they will their chest, I just feel like God wants me to be happy. Or they even just say, I know. I know God wants me to be happy. You know what the Bible says in Psalm 144, verse 13? Happy are the people whose God is the Lord. Those are the people that the Bible says will be happy. And then the devil says, well, if you have more possessions, you will be happy. More possessions equal happiness. And that's a lie of the devil. And many people think that, That a new home will make them happy or a new car will make them happy or more money will make them happy or a new wardrobe will make them. If I just had that new iPhone, ah, I know I could be happy. The latest gadgets. I even heard a lady say one time, I don't want much. If I just had a new flooring in my kitchen, I could be happy. Well, there's all kinds of things that people think will make them happy. The wise man though, observed in the book of Ecclesiastes that the things of this world, and he had them all, all kinds of things, and as we would say today, all the latest technology, and he enjoyed everything possible, but he said they are fleeting and they are transitory. And what he found was his true happiness in life actually came from the labor and the fruit that it bore. But the wise man wrote in Proverbs 3: Happy is the man who finds wisdom, and the man who gains understanding. For her proceeds are better than the profits of silver, and her gain than fine gold. She is more precious than rubies, and all the things you may desire cannot compare with her. Isn't that incredible? That this wise man of old says, if you want to be happy, seek wisdom and gain understanding. And that is more valuable than silver and gold and precious rubies. But the devil further lies. He may even say to you, when you meet the right person, you will be happy. And this is based upon the false premise that other people can make us happy. Single people sometimes think that if I will be married, then I will be happy. And a man with a nagging wife thinks if I didn't have her and had someone else, I would be happy. And a wife with a lazy husband thinks if I had another man, then I would be happy. And I know of Christians that have left their spouses for other mates in search of happiness and have even said, I think this is right because I know God wants me to be happy and I'm happy with her and I wasn't happy with her. If you meet the right person, you will be happy, the devil says. And yet the Bible says in Proverbs 16, 20, he who heeds the word wisely will find good and whoever trusts in the Lord, happy is he. That's the very opposite, isn't it? Of what the lie the devil is telling people today, and then how about this lie? Whoever dies with the most stuff wins. That's a bumper sticker. But you know who the author of that quote is—at least the person is attributed to—Malcolm Forbes. Malcolm Forbes was one of the wealthiest people to live in our time. He was a billionaire publisher. And he came up with this quote one time. He was quoted in a magazine that he said, he who dies with the most toys wins, is the way that Forbes put it. And Forbes had plenty of toys. He had boats and planes and castles. He had all the status symbols of wealth that our world has to offer. He had prosperity and power, and he enjoyed prestige. But Malcolm Ford was continually in search of things to make him happy. In the book, The Man Who Had Everything, Christopher Winans relates a motorcycle tour that Forbes took through Egypt in 1984. And after viewing the tomb of King Tut, he said Forbes seemed in a reflective mood. And as they were returning to the hotel in a shuttle bus, Forbes turned on one of his associates and sincerely asked, Do you think I'll be remembered after I die? interesting well he is remembered for his opulent lifestyle and conspicuous consumption and the one that coined the phrase he who dies with the most toys wins well that's a lie of the devil in fact jesus said in mark 8 and verse 36 for what will profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul We've heard that quote so many times from Jesus. I wonder if it even resonates with us, really what Jesus is saying. To gain the whole world? I mean, that is incomprehensible. I mean, just the state of Texas would be pretty good, wouldn't it? Can you imagine if you just owned the state of Texas with all of its oil and all of its resources and all of its natural gas? And with all of the stocks and bonds, and with all of the money and every bank account, and you owned it all, let alone the United States, let alone the world? And yet Jesus said, if you owned it all, it doesn't compare with the worth of a single soul. What have you gained if you've gained the whole world? And then in Luke 12 and verse 15, Jesus warned, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. You see, ladies and gentlemen, as we've noticed in this series time and again, the devil is a liar. And Jesus said the father of lies in John chapter 8. But the devil perpetuates this lie that happiness comes through all these different ways. He does it through advertising. Happiness today is offered by having the right toothpaste or driving the coolest car or wearing the latest fashions or living in an upscale neighborhood or having the most up-to-date iPhone. <laughs> Several years ago, a fellow by the name of Daryl Trippett, who was a director at that time of the Winnebago Health Institute of Oshkosh, Wisconsin, blamed the increase, he said, on teen problems of what he called the great American fairy tale. And he said, among other things, that more possessions means more happiness, according to this fairy tale, and a person is abnormal and less constantly happy. And so advertising tries to sell that to us. Have you ever just kind of been content with something and then on TV or some form you see something that you don't have and you go, man, I wish I had that. You know, maybe it's that new car and they show all the features. Let's say, man... I think I'd be happy if I had that. Or you go into a mall. My wife and I don't go to the mall very often. Fortunately, I married a woman that doesn't care about shopping. And so that's one of the great blessings of my life. But once in a while, we do go. And you see stuff. Have you noticed that when you go to the mall, you see stuff? And you see stuff that you don't have that's cool. And all of a sudden, you start wanting it. That's just kind of the way it is, and the devil tries to make us think that we'd be happy if we had this stuff. And then the entertainment industry promotes this and feeds us with the idea that life should be filled with fun and with merriment and, and with happiness. You know, there's a song popular a number of years ago with the lyrics, Don't Worry, Be Happy. And so that's, that's the world today. And And getting away to some movie or some form of entertainment or some amusement park, if you go to Six Flags Over Texas, Which really is just now one flag flown six times. I don't quite understand it. But anyway, you'll be happy. See, if you get on some rides and are thrilled, the entertainment industry. And then pop psychology says the highest good in life is to be happy. I googled how to be happy and I got 248 million results at eight tenths of a second. Pretty incredible. I found such things as you deserve to be happy and seven steps to becoming a happy person and 10 scientific proven ways to be incredibly happy and 45 ways to be instantly happier. And then I went to Amazon and typed in the word happy under books, and I found there are 3,229 books that you can buy on how one is, I like this, how to be happy or at least less sad, (laughs) So that's pretty good. And then there was one, 18 rules of happiness. And then I love this one, Lord, I just want to be happy. So there's all kinds of things out there that will talk to you about being happy. In a recent article, a columnist by the name of Jill Stark said a growing number of psychologists, however, and social researchers now believe that the feel-good, think positive mindset of the modern self-help movement has backfired, creating a culture where happiness is king and uncomfortable emotions are seen as abnormal. She goes on and writes, They also suspect that this don't-worry-be-happy focus is partly to blame for the rising rates of binge-drinking, drug abuse, and obesity. The more that genuine contentment eludes us, the more we seek to fill the gap with manufactured highs. And this is not even from a gospel preacher. This is just the observation of a person in the field of psychology. Well, what is the truth? Well, here is the truth. Number one about money. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning of verse 6, the Apostle Paul told the young evangelist Timothy this, Godliness with contentment is great gain. Think about that. You want to have great gain? Learn to be content. Paul said in Philippians 4 that I've learned of whatever state I am to be content. And then he goes on in verse 7 here, 1 Timothy 6, said, For we brought nothing into this world, and we certainly can take nothing out of it. Having food and raiment and clothing, let us be content. But those that desire to be rich can fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in perdition and lust." He says, for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, let me hasten to add here that actually the Apostle Paul is not even condemned to being rich. In fact, he charges those that are rich in this world's good to share with others and to do good. And so there's not a sin here in being wealthy, but there is a danger in it. And there is a danger that we quit becoming the master of our money and allow the money to master us, and we think that our happiness will be gained by having a lot of money. You probably have heard the quote by John D. Rockefeller when he was asked by a reporter one time, said, how much money does it take to satisfy a man? And John D. thought about that a minute, and he said, just a little more. (laughs) Just a little more. And that's right. But Paul warns us about that. And tells us the truth that we need to learn contentment. Whether we have a little or whether we have a lot. Or in between to learn contentment. What's the truth about satisfaction in life? Well the wise man said in Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse 10. He who loves silver will not be satisfied with silver. Nor he who loves abundance with increase. And there is just that aspect of us that we're just not satisfied. Like Rockefeller said, we want just a little more. That what we have is not quite enough. And if I, if I had just a little more, I, I know I would be happy. And that in itself, in and of itself, is not going to bring happiness. What is the truth about our priorities in life? Jesus was very plain about this. Matthew 6, beginning of verse 19, that where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And that if we put our treasure in things of this world, that moth and rust will corrupt, and thieves can break through and steal, but rather lay for yourselves treasures in heaven. And then he dropped down to verse 34, and he tells us to seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness and all of these things will be added unto you. What about priorities? Don't make material things, temporal things, monetary things your number one priority. Seek first the kingdom of God. Make that your priority. May I suggest this morning that we should really be focusing more on joy instead of happiness? See, joy and happiness are not necessarily synonymous. I think happiness can come about, and certainly we've read passages in the Bible that speak of being happy, that when we have the kind of joy that the Bible talks about, that we can enjoy happiness in this life. But while we use the words interchangeably, I want to suggest a difference. You see, happiness is based upon circumstances. The kind of happiness that the devil is trying to get us to think about, at least, that we've talked about, are based on circumstances. The circumstances of what I have or who I'm with or what I'm doing or what I'm enjoying. That's circumstances. But joy is based upon a substance. See, there's real substance. And in the Bible, and we're going to notice more of this in just a minute, we're going to see things that are profound, the things that are deep, and things that transcend this material world that have substance to them. That brings joy. Happiness is external. You know, I mean, did you ever have that new car? And, boy, you're just so happy, and it's shiny, and it has that. Don't you love the new car smell? Oh, man. But pretty soon, I mean, it gets a ding in it, and someone spills coffee inside it, and you know, and there's some McDonald's wrappers underneath, and trying to get all that crumbs out, and all that stuff, and you've had it a while, and you know, it's doesn't have that new car smell anymore. The kids threw up in it, and I'm, you know, it's terrible, it's awful, it's, you know, what I'm talking about, and so now you're not so happy anymore with that car. Happiness is external, but joy is internal regardless of the kind of car you're in or home you're in or where you are or who you're with, that you have that joy, joy, joy. Where? Down in your heart. You know the song, don't you? See, that's not just a cute little kid song we're singing PBS. It's true. It's really true. The joy, the real joy, true joy, is down in your heart. It is internal. Happiness is based upon chance. Do you know the word happiness comes from the word happiness? Hap, (laughs) that's not hard to figure out, is it? That means happenstance or chance. (laughs) And so it is a chance that you're happy. These things of chance that may happen. But joy, on the other hand, is a choice. We choose our happiness. We choose to be happy. We choose joy. And then happiness can be temporary. It can be fleeting. It can be transitory. But joy is timeless that we can always have joy in our lives joy will sustain us when happiness is revoked by a harsh word or deed I can still have joy joy will retain us when happiness is removed by circumstances or situations joy will maintain us when happiness is dissolved by the actions of family friends or even brethren joy will contain us when happiness is replaced with weeping due to loss and pain Joy will fortify us when happiness is eradicated. Joy is what changes hopelessness to hope fulfilled. Joy is what changes perplexed to praise. And joy is what changes questions to petitions. And joy changes depressed to delivered. Joy is what changes giving up to looking up. And joy is what changes sorrow to jubilance. Joy changes bewildered to bolster. And so we need to focus upon developing joy in our life. Let me give you just a short primer on the joyful life. And it's found in the book of Philippians. This, uh, I started to say, as I want to say sometimes, could be an entire sermon. <laughs> Actually, it could be an entire study in a quarter, the book of Philippians, just on the concept of Joy. But let me just bullet a few things for you here. The book is about rejoicing in the Lord. The word joy or rejoice is used 18 times in this short little book of four chapters. And here Paul speaks of the joy of faith, or he speaks of the Philippians of being his joy and his crown. He says several times to rejoice in the Lord. And so when we take this book apart, chapter 1 is about a Savior-centered life. If you look in chapter 1, and I have it noted in my Bible of the number of times that Christ or Jesus is mentioned here. Numerous times he speaks of Christ in some relationship to Christ. The grace and peace comes by Christ. He's a servant of Christ. The day of Christ, affection in Christ, fruits of righteousness by Christ. Even his chains were in Christ, but that didn't bother him because Christ was preached and Christ was magnified in his body and he lived for Christ. He desired to depart and be with Christ. He rejoiced in Christ. He was worthy to suffer for the gospel of Christ. In other words, in chapter 1, That Paul is saying it's all about Jesus. It's all about being in Christ. And that's what brings true joy. Chapter 2 is about a self-emptying life. And he says in verse 2, To fulfill my joy, be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. And then here it is, verses 3 and 4. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. And he begins by saying, Fulfill my joy. And then he illustrates in verse 5 by saying, Let this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. So where does true joy come from? It comes from the Savior And it comes by a self-emptying life, having the mind of Jesus. And then chapter 3 is about the sound life. And Paul warns here about two major things in chapter 3. One is the doctrinal errors of Judaism. And they were going to lead these people away from rejoicing in Christ and the joy in Christ. But then in the latter part of chapter three, he warns them against the immoral hedonism of the antinomians who characterized by sensuality and whose God was their belly, who fulfilled the lust of their flesh. You need to be careful of that because that's going to take away your joy. A sound life is being doctrinally sound and morally sound. And then chapter 4 is the serene life. And a serene life is found in a steadfast life. He said, You're my joy, my crown, stand fast in the Lord. He says it is a worry free life to be anxious. And twice in verse 4 he says, To rejoice in the Lord. And again I say rejoice. But he tells us that we can be worry-free, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication to let your requests be made known to God. To have a prayerful life, you see, that will bring joy. And then it's a focused thinking life in verse 8, to think upon the things that are true and noble and just and pure and lovely and of good report virtuous and praiseworthy. Meditate on these things. Focus on these things. It's a serene life that will bring joy. It is a contented life. He said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am to be content in verse 11. And then it's a victorious life because he said in verse 13 that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then he tells us that we don't have to worry about any of this because in verse 19, my God shall supply all your need according to the riches that are in Christ Jesus. So you worried about satisfaction of life and fulfillment of life and happiness in life and joy in life and, and and having the kind of life that has meaning and purpose to it? God will supply that. He said he will supply your every need. And you can be happy and you can be joyous. <sighs> Don't you just see in this short treatise this morning That the devil's lying to us. I mean, everywhere we turn, the devil is lying to us about happiness. And what we need to do is to get back into God's Word and learn about happiness. The psalmist said in Psalm 119 and verse 161, I rejoice at your word, at one who finds great treasure. That's what happiness is. I wonder this morning if you would be happy, joyous. You can have that joy, joy, joy down in your heart but coming to Jesus and living for Jesus. If you're not a Christian, you ought to be one. And through faith and repentance and baptism you can have your sins washed away by the blood of Christ. You can come as we talked about at communion service to the cross. He was nailed to the cross. And wants to nail your sins to the cross through his blood. And you can begin to experience that. When I want to ask you, are you a, here this morning as a Christian that you say, you know, can I'll i be honest with you. I've been a Christian a long time, but I'm, I'm not all that happy. A- have you heard some things this morning that maybe you need to correct? A- a- has your focus and emphasis been on the wrong kinds of things? Are you looking for happiness in all the wrong places? Maybe you need to redirect your thinking and your focus and your priorities and get back where it needs to be. Rededicate your life to your first love. And I promise you that you'll find happiness and joy that Jesus provides. My friend, if we can help you and serve you and minister to you in any ways, do you invite what well, together we stand and sing?